You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. to this week's episode of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball where uh this week we are doing things off camera it's weird ordinarily i get to i get to gaze into the the handsome visages of uh one samuel p dykstra and benjamin hill um i i don't even know if i said that word correctly uh but i'm assuming you're both there hi we're both here <laughs> how long were we going to keep that going I was like, this is an audio podcast. I don't know how long I want to keep dead air on it, but I am willing to commit to the bit. And then, and <laughs> so I the reason my- I'm I'm visiting my uh, my uncle in central Nebraska. There's uh, there's very rural internet here, and I texted Sam earlier today, and I was like, hey, so I'm not sure this internet's going to hold out for us to be able to record today. But we're on the Zoom call. We both turned off our uh, our cameras. Uh, in the hopes that it would conserve some bandwidth. We're like we're like the Apollo 13 astronauts just trying to run as little of electricity as possible. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, we're, we're trying to fit a square peg in a circle hole. Is that exactly, right? exactly. We need to get this thing to fit into this thing using this thing, <laughs> and we have 36 hours. Uh, we don't even have that much time. Go to work. We do not. Um, we do not. But uh, it'll be just as transformative for American society at large, I'm sure, this podcast and the safe return of the Apollo 13 astronauts, one of whom was uh, Denver, Colorado's own Jack Swigert from Blessed Sacrament Elementary School. As long as Tom Hanks is playing me in the movie, I'm happy. I would also accept Kevin B. Uh Wow. Really down on Bill Paxton. That's rude. How dare you, Sam? I mean, you know, rest in peace, Bill Paxton. But I don't uh, think he's going right. to be playing anybody. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Man, Bill Paxton's, that's been four, almost five years. Holy cow. Just looked it up. I uh, had not realized that, that had been so long ago. Um, but uh, hey, uh, one of our weirdest welcomes into this episode <laughs> before the show, I guess, where we're talking all things minor league baseball. The three of us, uh, we've got a bunch to dive into this week, actually, uh, which is a lot of fun. And of course, joined by our good pal Benjamin Hill as we uh, we kick off kind of an unofficial holiday month in November across the minor leagues, which is one that we have been uh, away from for quite some time. And it is uh, sort of known in the the parlance of Ben and the industry as Logovember, because this is when we so often see redesigns and rebrands and all that type of stuff. Um, last year, obviously, there was not much of this. Uh, ben, what do you even remember like in 2019, what really stood out as the big rebrands? I feel like when I see things from 2019, I'm like, oh, that might as well be from the 1930s. Like, that's how long ago it all feels, uh, thanks to the last 19 months or whatever it's been. What were the big ones in 2019? Was Fort Myers, the Mighty Muscles, were they a 2019 rebrand? Yeah, we had the Fort Myers Mighty Muscles, previously the Miracle. We had two minor league rebrandings of teams that never took the field, never went on, yeah, never took the field as an affiliated minor league team, the uh, Norwich. Uh, the Connecticut Tigers became the Norwich Sea Unicorns. And then after 2020 didn't happen, uh, they were not in affiliated minor league baseball in 2021, although they still exist as a franchise. Uh, summer. Same with uh, Missoula, the Osprey. They became the Paddleheads and uh, Pioneer League, but that's now an independent 
uh, league and not affiliated. So there were those two who rebranded as minor league teams and then never took the field in an affiliated minor league context. Uh, you know, we were heading into this, uh, the new ballparks. We had uh, the Canapolis Intimidators became the Cannonballers. We had the, uh, the new team in Wichita, the Wind Surge. Uh, Rocket City had actually already yeah. been announced as the Trash Pandas before that. They were going to be the Trash Pandas go as the Mo Bears before relocating, and then their debuts. Rocket City Trash Pandas existed, at least the name and logo existed, and the knowledge that they would be the team, something about like two, nearly two and a half years between the announcement of that name and uh, their on-field debut. So 2019, you know, I have to, I, I write a logo uh, rebranding, uh, you know, recap every year when all said and done, I'll have to return to my notes and see everything. But, you know, just based on this conversation, just riffing a little bit, you know, I'd say it was, it was fairly robust, you know, not bad at all. Of course we had the, uh, the Woo Sox, the Pawtucket Red Sox became uh, the Woo Sox at some point around that time frame as well. Uh, Fredericksburg uh, or the Potomac Nationals relocated to Fredericksburg and uh, had their uh, new identity. Well, still called the Nationals, but, you know, they had uh, some George Washington and uh, Mary Washington themed uh, alternate logos around that as the birthplace of George Washington and where his mother lived, et cetera, et cetera. You just learn so much about America through minor league baseball. I think I've said that before. And it's accurate. Um, which is why you get to you get to use it more than uh, the average phrase because minor league baseball is encapsulated in so much of uh, Americana or vice versa, whichever angle of that makes more sense. Um, ben is the guy who has all the inside info, and we are at November 4th right now. We can't get all of the inside info as of yet, but we know that there are some redesigns coming out. Um, I don't know if there are any full rebrands coming out, but you'll have uh, more of a – an inside scoop on that. There is also uh, one team that has announced its uh, big food promotion for 2022, which is that the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, is the birthplace, evidently, of the chicken tender. Uh, did not know that. And they are going to play as the Manchester Chicken Tenders. They've got three different options. Fans are going to vote on the, the finalized look for the chicken tenders. Uh, give us the rundown of that and what else you can at least, as of right now, uh, give us a little hint is coming up in logo November. Yeah. Well, the New Hampshire Fisher cats. Uh, yeah. That is just a, uh, you know, a one game uh, alternate uh, identity uh, based around a local food item. And again, learning about America through minor league baseball, who among us knew, except for the most uh, devout and hardcore of uh, Manchester residents, Manchesterians would know that the chicken finger was at least allegedly <laughs> invented in Manchester, Manchester at the Puritan restaurant. Very good name for a New England restaurant, the Puritan. I'm sure they do not sell any alcohol there. And uh, the wait staff is uh, fully clothed and whatever else constitutes. <laughs> not open on Sundays. <laughs> not open on Sundays. Yeah. Um, they live by the good book. Anyhow, the Puritan restaurant in Manchester, 1974, allegedly invented the chicken tender. And to uh, spice things up, as it were, uh, fans can vote on under logo you want the team to take the field as uh, it's between what is it now buffalo classic of course and coconut chicken tenders and that's another thing that must have been a puritan thing um i assume uh coconut chicken tenders is not something i've really associated too strongly with chicken tenders and uh, coconuts but 
those three options, classic buffalo and coconut, it all goes back to 1974 when the Puritan restaurant made chicken tenders a thing. And, and note they are calling them chicken tenders and not chicken fingers. I'm sure any, any of us uh, talking now or listening could go down a rabbit hole about the uh, you know etymology of all this, or is it entomology? One is the study of bugs and one's the study of words. But anyhow, you know, what's the difference between a chicken tender and a chicken finger? What other region might lay claim to this item? Because I would be willing to bet there are other places that are like, nah, yeah, we're the home place of the chicken tender. You know, the same way that uh, Casey the Bat, various cities lay claim to that. Or um, I remember when the El Paso uh, Chihuahuas had the margaritas identity. You know, it's a little, it gets a little murky saying this was most definitely invented here. But uh, yeah, everyone's up for debate and, you know, there's a uh, local bragging rights at stake. And for all I know, Manchester is with no debate, unqualified home of the chicken tender, and no one would ever debate that. 1974, the Puritan restaurant. Yeah, I was going to say sticking to New England, there was the whole whoopie pie. Yeah. Between Portland and Reading. Yeah, two Eastern League or erstwhile Eastern mm-hmm. League teams. Uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, and Portland, Maine, both had uh, whoopie pie logos and both uh, laid their own claim to uh, uh, having being the home of the whoopie pie. So it's not surprising in a, in a sprawling country like America with so much uh, movement and a pioneer spirit and frontier attitudes that these ideas traveled far and wide. And it's very hard to untangle the, the uh, unruly knot of history to get to what is at the beginning of the thread that then comprises this knot. I mean, what has been the story of fast food in the last year, two years, I guess, whenever Popeye's came out with its chicken sandwich, but the chicken wars, you know, like everybody trying to come out with their own chicken sandwich in the last couple of years. If the chicken wars extend to the minor leagues, that's, that sounds about right. I could, I could definitely see that happening. Unfortunately, chicken wars are a little bit more low stakes than you know, oil wars or our <laughs> yes. impending water wars and those sort of things. Uh, and Ben, we also talked a little bit uh, about how there's going to be more coming out the rest of the month. Uh, we do know we do know of one complete rebrand. We don't know the name yet. We don't know what the logos are. They're going to unveil that, but Beloit will finally get something new. Yeah, Maybe that that'll month. be one of the big ones of the off season. Uh, that's obviously something a long time coming. Uh, initially, the team, the Beloit Snappers, uh, their initial plan was to do the name change mid-season at the same time they moved from Pullman Field to their new ballpark of uh, ABC Supply Stadium. They went back on that and they decided to keep the Snappers name for the entirety of the season, the final year of the Snappers. But 2021 or 2022 will be their first year in this uh, first full season in in their new ballpark in Beloit, and they will have a new name. And so that will be announced on November 15th. So that is uh, coming up. And there's uh, numerous finalists in that name the team contest. Uh, we have what the polka pike, the supper clubbers, the sky carp, um, a couple other that are not at the top of my head right now, but uh, the usual array of somewhat ridiculous names and uh, the usual array of internet commenting that is that they're all horrible choices, but usually these things work out okay uh, in the long run. So we'll see, but Beloit new name coming soon. And, and that'll be one of the bigger ones. We also have upcoming changes, not full rebrands, uh, Midland Rockhounds, uh, Aberdeen Ironbirds, the Bowie Bay Sox have been hinting at something that was supposed to have been revealed, uh, on Tuesday, November 2nd, but has gotten pushed back. 
And uh, we'll see what the rest of Logo Vember brings. And I'm not sure where that phrase originally derives, but I think it was the guys in Brandios, you know, one of the uh, dominant uh, logo design companies in uh, the minor league baseball industry. I'm pretty sure that that was their term, Logo Vember. Uh, but, you know, we often see rebrands sometimes maybe a little bit in December and sometimes uh, in the early part of the next calendar year. So, um, you know, rebranding season rolls through all the way through March in one way or the other when it comes to alternate logos, rebrandings, new primary logos, all the, you know, uh, of, of course, uh, you know, one-off new identities such as the Manchester chicken tenders. Uh, we'll be seeing a lot of things in the upcoming months and uh, we'll have a better sense of uh, just how robust this uh, rebranding season was. But yes, it all kicks off with Logo Vember. So please celebrate accordingly. Logo Vember, pioneered by Brandios, which is going to petition to change November to zombie turkey time, I would imagine. Um, let's <laughs> continue. This is the only, the only venue where that joke would have gotten a laugh. Um, let's continue with uh, ballpark guys. We got ballpark guys continuing to roll out uh, at MLB.com and MILB.com as well. Uh, ben, what was your latest ballpark guy? We're doing it for a little inside baseball, which is so funny when you can use the phrase inside baseball and you actually work in baseball. Um, but I'm doing one a week. You're doing one a week. Josh Jackson is also tackling one a week. Um, so keeping tabs on who has what and when they're coming out and all of that uh, has been tricky. But your most recent was... My most recent was uh, Lynchburg Hillcats. Right, 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 right. right. We talked about last. And uh, the next one coming very soon, it should be up on the site. Even later today, we were speaking on Thursday, but certainly on Friday, will be in a weird way, certainly one of my uh, not absolute most elite favorite parks, but a ballpark that is much maligned that I like a lot and I really enjoy visiting. Richmond, Virginia's The Diamond will be the subject of the next ballpark guide. And uh, it's a really unique ballpark. I always call it or compare it to, you know, the minor league version of the uh, kind of ballparks that proliferated, proliferated in the 1970s and 1980s, the big uh, circular concrete slabs, these lurking behemoths um, that, you know, were used for different sports and uh, had huge capacities. The diamond is kind of the uh, minor league baseball version of that. It feels very much out of time in today's ballpark landscape, uh, way too new, built in 1985 to feel classic in any real way. It's not like it's this intimate wooden ballpark with a little covered grandstand and speaks to some long ago era. But at the same time, you know, thinking about minor league ballparks, how many are of that style, a mid 80s ballpark? Um, you know, oversized. Their capacity now, I think, is a little below 10,000, but that's because they do cover parts of the upper level with banners and advertisements and whatnot to make it feel a little more intimate. But it's a huge two-level, uh, big concrete stadium. And the Richmond Flying Squirrels, who call it home, you know, have been there for over a decade, and they moved to the ballpark after the Richmond Braves left. You know, uh, we've talked about this before, you know, with the caveat or the understanding that getting a new ballpark would be the first order of business. And here we are entering 2022 and the diamond lives on, but I like it one because the Richmond flying squirrels have a great front office staff. So they make it a really colorful and fun experience. And two, as someone of the age who went to, you know, veteran stadium in Philadelphia is my first minor league game or major league game. Uh, Phillies must not have been playing well at the time. And it felt like minor leagues, but as someone who grew up going to, uh, 
veteran stadium and then going to college and seeing some games at three river stadium uh, ballparks like the diamond make me feel nostalgic. And I'm sure there's a lot of people of roughly my age and demographic who would have the same feeling at that ballpark. And I know a lot of people will miss it when it's gone, despite it's uh, kind of ugly, uh, impersonal feel, but great place to see a game, uh, great front office staff and, uh, I'm enjoying writing it up and it's coming soon. And Tyler, I believe you have one that has uh, recently appeared as recently as what, two days ago. Yeah. The down East wood ducks, uh, the team located in Kinston, North Carolina, which is now part of the low a East league, former members of the Carolina league. And, uh, a team that is very much, you know, as Ben was describing Richmond being a throwback to a different era, uh, down East is very much that way as well. It's a little bit older era, although it was kind of cool to get in touch with, uh, the folks at, uh, at the wood ducks front office. Alexa K was great to speak with about, um, the current state of the ballpark, they recently built a, a new double uh, leveled uh, pavilion, which is sponsored by Mother Earth Brewery, which is a, a kind of a local phenom uh, brewing company in the Kinston area. And that's down the right field line in the corner. Uh, used to show up at Granger Stadium, uh, the home of the Down East Wood Ducks currently, and previously the Kinston Indians and the Kinston Eagles and all these other teams throughout history. And it was just very much like you were walking back in time to the early 1950s and the late 1940s. And it was all about the baseball and, you know, something that I loved about it. Um, and it is still very much that way, but they do have some of these modern amenities, a new concessions building, uh, this new uh, pavilion building down the right field lines. So there's some very cool stuff there. Uh, Kinston is just a place that I think is everything good about minor league baseball, a small town, um, you know, kind of off the beaten path. It's about 60 ish miles, I believe, uh, Southeast of Raleigh, Durham of that area. Um, not a place you would ordinarily pass through, but if you are going to be making a minor league baseball road trip, it is one of the places that you should absolutely put at or near the top of your list. Um, there are great stops in town. There's apparently a really cool new distillery. The brewery is amazing. Uh, mother earth brewing actually bought an old 1960s motel and they refurbished the whole thing. And it is now the uh, Downey's Wood Ducks host hotel for visiting teams. It's called the Mother Earth Motor Lodge. And I've had, I think, three different people say to me, oh, when you walk into it, you feel like you're on a Mad Men set, which is very much my jam. Uh, so I, I stayed it. I stayed in Did that you? hotel when I oh, visited. Oh, man, uh, I'm jealous. Granger, uh, because often when I go on my road trips, you know, I'll ask the team, like, you know, what's your, uh, what hotels do you use? And uh, it is, it's very retro, kitschy. Um, bright and uh, definitely a throwback to the 50s and 60s kind of space age loungy aesthetic. It was, you know, when you're traveling, well, anywhere in the country, really, you often end up at hopefully nice enough hotels, but there's a certain sameness that settles in. So it's great to go to places like Kinston and be like, okay, this is a little different. Uh, This one really stands out as memorable. And, uh, And Kinston is interesting because, um, you know, the team now is called Down East representing a, region of North Carolina that Kinston is not actually in, but they changed it. They changed it to down East to, you know, to, to say that they represent more than Kinston. And one of those reasons is Kinston is, I believe um, the smallest uh, minor league baseball town uh, in the country in terms of population or the smallest market for a minor league team. Um, I know the Burlington bees in Burlington, Iowa often had that, you know, there's some debate, you know, whether it was Burlington or Kinston, but Burlington Bees are no longer an affiliated minor league baseball. So I'm pretty sure that Kinston is uh, the smallest market in full season, you know, affiliated minor league baseball right now. So it's an interesting and classic place to see a game, as Tyler said. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, an estimated population of just over 20,000 
2019. And it is, I don't know what it is about Kinston, but it is just a place that grabbed my heart the first time that I ever visited there. I also was very uh, annoyed to have learned that there is a Civil War battlefield site that was evidently within walking distance of the former host hotel of the team in Kinston, which used to be the Hampton Inn. Uh, and I never went there in all of my trips through Kinston over three years in the Carolina League. So a little annoyed uh, myself. But you should uh, check out that ballpark guide. Uh, check out Ben's as well. Lynchburg, another former Carolina League city, um, and a, again, another small town with an older ballpark that they have done a terrific job maintaining and upgrading and all of that, and of course, Richmond coming up as well, and uh, this has been a very fun series. We are, I mean, not even at the midway point of the ballpark, guys. We still have so many more uh, to be rolling out over the course of the next few months leading up to opening day in 2022, but these have been so much fun to write. Um, I've got Hartford coming up next, uh, the Yard Goats, which obviously, I mean, that is a place that has been written about and talked about so much that um, I think it's become a destination for a lot of people. And it's easy to get to from big cities, from Boston to New York and all that. Um, but that'll be another fun one to write up. And these have all been very cool. I've really enjoyed this project. Yeah. And just seeing them from afar, the way they're presented. I mean, it's, it's exactly what, when we were first dreaming up this project, of yeah. like, like, like it really is a one-stop shop for what do I do? Uh, where do I stay? Where do I go from here? What should I look like? Look for in the ballpark. It's it's very helpful, and it, I don't think it, it it might exist in some other pockets of, of uh, the internet because the internet is a big place, and minor league baseball obviously has its fans. But the fact that it now is a one stop shop under MLB.com, I think, is huge. And I can't wait for 2022 opening day for many reasons, but once that's all in one place, it'll be a really cool moment. Yeah, let's hope they're all done by them because this yeah. is a gargantuan <laughs> Rob Dignagian uh, task to get this all done. And yeah, Tyler said we're not at the, and I'm not even sure if we're at the third way point. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I, I don't think know. I think we just passed the quarter pole. Yeah, I think that's about where we are. But uh, there's a lot more to come. And, um, you know, I've been on a reduced schedule, as I mentioned in the past, with parental leave, but I'll be back full strength in 2022. And uh, great to have Tyler now being able to commit regular time to it. And of course uh, our great friend, Josh Jackson, you know, now in the mix. Uh, so we'll be seeing lots more coming and, you know, welcome your feedback on the ballpark guides, both ones that have been published and uh, ones that have yet to be published. And by that, I mean, if you have favorite places uh, at a ballpark or in that city town, you know, favorite restaurants, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's very much a collaborative um project and something I try to do is you know go off the beaten path whenever possible if I have that knowledge or someone gives a recommendation you know we do have leeway in writing these you don't just have to say you know the top three tourist attractions based on you know annual visitors you can you know pick out something quirky a little more roadside America and you know welcome all feedback on that type of stuff for uh, uh, you know or the little hole in the wall dive bars or restaurants that might yeah. not get much play but the locals love them those are the type of things that are great to highlight something I've done a couple times in putting these together when I'm you know, going off my own information. Sometimes maybe the team has contributed some or, or offered some suggestions. Uh, but sometimes when I'm just trying to add a little bit more, I just Google the city I'm writing about and oldest restaurant. I just find that mm. that's an interesting- uh, That is a great uh, idea. Exercise just to kind of find like the real classics. And you don't always find it or, you know, something that's hard and fast, like this is the information I'm looking for, but at least it'll take you down the path of finding uh, some really uh, interesting ones. And often they are, you know, immigrant stories or, you know, post-World War II stories or places from over a hundred years ago, you know, someone started a business and then they get passed on from family to family. And those are the places that I think are really fun to visit these tiny little hole in the walls that have history that goes back 70, 80, 90, hundred years. 
1 million percent agreed. And uh, you can check them all out. We've got them at MLB.com and MILB.com. The ballpark guide page has uh, everything listed by state, and we'll keep rolling through those as the season gets closer and closer. Benjamin Hill, who you can find on social media at Ben's Biz on Twitter, at TheBen'sBiz on Instagram. And uh, you can read all of his stuff, of course, at MILB.com and at MLB.com. And uh, thanks, man. This is I'm excited for the Richmond one. I've never been there. I've driven past it. Um, but that'll be a good one to have. Cause I know that's a, a great stop for a lot of people too. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Hey, before signing off, you know, it's my only day in the office this week. Usually I'm only working two days this week, but on Tuesday, I just want to brag, I guess. I don't know. I just want to share you, you the fact pass along I want to, I do, I want to pass along the fact that, uh, after I was put on standby last year and did not get an assignment at all for the primaries last June, I made my debut on Tuesday as an honest to God poll worker. And it was one of the longest days of my life, uh, often pretty frustrating or uh, hard to figure out certain uh, aspects of it, but ultimately super rewarding. Um, just seeing all the people coming into a polling site, you know, I was at a basement in the Midwood neighborhood of Brooklyn, um, you know, helping people to be able to vote, uh, getting a sense of the community, um, just being part of the process, along with a lot of other, you know, New Yorkers who, who signed up to do the same thing and helping other New Yorkers vote. Uh, it was just a phenomenal experience. And I, just want to encourage people if they've been thinking about doing it. I mean, obviously you have to go through some training, obviously it takes some time, but uh, I, I got back on Tuesday night really late and just was thinking about it. All the interactions I had funny, absurd, upsetting, everything in between and being like, wow, what a day. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it and uh, hope to do it again. So if you've been thinking about it, uh, let me nudge you in the direction of uh, if you can be a poll worker, it's a really gratifying experience. That is very cool stuff. Thanks man. Thanks, Tyler. And sitting to my left, thank you. Sam Dykstra. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Huge thanks to Ben, as always, for uh, all of his stuff for this week. There is so much coming up on Ben's side of things on the business baseball side uh, through the month of November, so make sure you keep it tuned to MILB.com and MLB.com slash pipeline as the month rolls along and we head into the offseason. And uh, with that, we are fully in the North American baseball offseason, at least in uh, in this country, uh, with the crowning of a World Series champion. Atlanta, four games to one over the Houston Astros, uh, a world title for that franchise for the first time since 1995. Uh, world Series champs in a roster that, yes, there was so much 
bandied about with the acquisitions of uh, the, the trade deadline and how the uh, the trades came with Atlanta not giving up a ton of prospects and all that type of stuff. This is a team that was built largely on its homegrown talent. Guys like Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Alves. I know Ozzie didn't have the, the greatest of World Series, kind of came alive there uh, in the final game. Did I say three games to one? By the way, I, I'll be honest. I, w- I was not listening. On oh, I was trying to or- oh, I organize well, my own thoughts. There is the uh, the honesty of Sam Dykstra who never listens to me. I wouldn't either if I was Sam. Uh, I think I said three games to one. Three games to two, obviously, as uh, Atlanta won game six to uh, take the win. By the way, I did not think that was going to happen. When the Astros forced that series back to Houston, I was like, this is going to seven. And then it, uh, Jorge Soler was like, nah, nope. Not even also, that. Max Freed said And that. Max Freed, same thing. Uh, yeah. But, you know, Max Fried, a guy who was a very good example, was not drafted by that organization, but comes up, uh, pitches the game of his life in game six. Um, you know, some of these dudes who the the winds of baseball took through circuitous and bizarre routes, uh, you know, Tyler Matzik obviously being the guy who's really the story in that regard. Um, but even prospects who were acquired by Atlanta and then brought through the system from trades or whatever else it was. And then these drafted or internationally signed and developed players, you know, the, the Freddie Freeman's of the world are kind of, it feels like um, dwindling in, in quantity across the game of baseball, where you develop that franchise player and you potentially do keep him around for the entirety of his career. Now it remains to be seen if that'll be the case with Freddie Freeman in Atlanta, but um, it is a possibility. But Sam, when you look at this organization, there was so much that was built for that world series champion from within and from the prospect ranks. Um, what, what made this happen for that team to get on the roll that it did through August and September and into October to win a world series? Yeah. I mean, I, this is, you know, the, the Braves went through kind of a stripping down of their organization a couple of years ago in a rebuild, um, that was supposed to be through the draft. And you look at Ian Anderson, who was a high pick, uh, at MLB. That's pretty interesting about like why he was picked so high, uh, being an upper, uh, you know, upstate New York guy around the Albany area area. Um, a right-handed pitcher out of high school. Those guys aren't normally taken very high, almost like at every individual category there. High school right-handers aren't taken very high. Guys from upstate New York aren't taken very high because you don't see them very often. Uh, in that story, they talked about how he was like 90 to 91 at points and he was uh, that spring. And, and for whatever reason, the Braves just really stuck with him and been like, hey, listen, this is the guy we want to draft. Part of that being, hey, you know, he was probably going to take a little bit of a discount, but still they liked the player enough to, to roll the dice on him. I think at number three uh, in that draft. And they did that something similar with Austin Riley, Austin Riley. Uh, there were questions about him in terms of what he could hit, how he could hit entering the draft. A lot of people liked him more as a pitcher going into the draft and, and the Braves went to him and said, and he said, I see myself as a hitter. And they're like, to know they scouted him a little bit. They really liked him as a hitter. They took him, they kept him on that path when anybody could have said, Hey, we want to see you on the mound first. Let's just see what that looks like. Uh, they stuck with him as a hitter. And I know there were some people who criticized him for a lack of bat speed coming up and, and not necessarily lack of bat speed, but it's just somebody who couldn't hit velocity. Uh, they had what he call what you would call a slider swing and um, that he could hit breaking stuff, but he couldn't catch up to the heater. Now he, I'm not going to say he's an MVP candidate this year because I don't think he's going to get in the top three or four, but he hit well enough to be in that conversation to get down ballot votes. Uh, he was, you know, wholly came up through the organization and Tyler, you're right to talk about Freddie Freeman. So much attention paid to him uh, when he, when that game ended the other night, 
him catching the final ball, uh, what that means to him personally, because he was basically there throughout the last decade of when the Braves weren't very good. And, you know, like, oh, we want Freddie Freeman around because he's somebody we can build around and he can be that guy by the time we are a contender. And that's basically what happened. Now he's hitting the free agent market, but everything he said was, I want to be in Atlanta. Like, this is the only place for me. We'll see how that's going to shake out. I'm sure it's going to be kind of like Clayton Kershaw. I know the Dodgers have said we don't treat him the same as other free agents because he deserves to be, you know, the first call we make and the first decision we make and all that kind of stuff. Freddie Freeman is that almost up a level because he's fully healthy. He was an MVP last year. Now he has the World Series title in his hand. Uh, he probably should go to the Braves and ask to give it to him. Um, but again, it's because they developed him. They've seen him from day one. Uh, they've seen him be come up from kind of like a pudgy kid to a lean home run machine uh, who does everything well and plays every day well, uh, which is kind of incredible. Um, so, yeah, it, I'm glad you mentioned Max Fried and Dansby Swanson as well, because I know technically those guys aren't homegrown, but I count them as being grown because they did a lot of their development time just, um, just because they weren't drafted by Atlanta. Right doesn't mean they weren't formed in some ways by their philosophies. Dancy Swanson uh, may well have been. He spent half of one season in the Arizona organization. Right. And, and as he talked about several times after winning, he is an Atlanta kid through and through, or a Georgia kid through and through, I should say, um, Atlanta sports fan through and through. So he probably worked doubly hard <laughs> with the Braves. I don't want to – didn't try with the D-backs. He was very good in Hillsborough. But um, knowing what it means to folks to have the Braves be good – you know that meant a little extra to Dansby Swanson. And has he necessarily met his ceiling? I wouldn't say that, but he's been a big piece of what has been a contending team for a couple of years now. A team that very well could have gone to the World Series last year did and won it this year. So credit to him, credit for the Braves going out and acquiring him, um, kind of taking advantage of a crazy situation over there in Arizona where they were willing to move on from the number one overall pick so quickly. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, a lot of homegrown pieces to be found here on this Braves roster. And that allowed them to go out and be aggressive at this trade deadline, which was another major, major trade story. And the front office being aggressive in the way that they were, even when they weren't above 500. Yeah. The NL East wasn't very good, but I hope a lot of teams look at that and say, Hey, listen, if we're within shouting distance, let's go for it. Let's see what we can do. If you make the right moves, you could end up with Jorge Soler who is traded for a relief prospect. Like Casey Kalich is, is decent and he's, on the periphery now of the, the, the Royals top 30, but Jorge Soler is a world series MVP who the Braves just went out and got because they decided, Hey, we're going to try to push some chips into the middle of the table here. And even if it ended up in an 88 wins regular season, it still ended up in a world series title. And that's really exciting. So lots to take in here from this uh, Atlanta system and the way they were built. But uh, because they were homegrown, I think that, uh, or at least a decent core of it was homegrown. Ronald Acuna Jr., who didn't participate in the World Series, but is obviously the superstar of the team and will continue to be uh, as he grows older and as he returns to the field. It's a big reason why the, the Braves were able to take some big swings this year. Then I, I don't want to uh, harp on this and don't want to knock a guy who I uh, have really enjoyed watching throughout his career at, at times when he was successful, but the, the Braves traded Dansby Swan or got Dansby Swanson uh, as the return in a deal for Shelby Miller. And when you look back on that trade, that was a head scratcher when the Diamondbacks made it in 2015. 
And you look back on that now and just think like, what on, or what was that decision? You draft a guy first overall in June by December, you trade him and you get a guy in return. And, and Shelby Miller was a very good major league pitcher at that time. Shelby Miller was coming off of a season, which he had been roughed up uh, at least in terms of wins and losses with Atlanta, but that didn't matter. He posted a career best ERA of 3.02. He was a very good pitcher. He was an all-star that year uh, for Atlanta in 2015, but he goes to Arizona and obviously the bottom falls out. Um, but, Man, you just look at Dansby Swanson and think like, what, uh, what, what, what was Dave Stewart's plan there back when he was in charge things for the D-backs? Still a head scratcher six years later. Yeah, and then it, you look at who else was involved in that trade. Aaron yeah. Blair was Aaron a, Blair. a decent prospect. Yeah, pretty at the highly time. regarded guy at the time. Yeah, didn't work out great, but still was a legitimate prospect who had value. Uh, Ender Enciarte ended up being like a gold glove caliber outfielder for the Braves, yeah. not on World Series winning teams, but like, he held his own certainly in center field. So they got three, you know, two really good prospects and a really good outfielder for Shelby Miller. I mean, that, yeah, talk about your head scratching trades. Uh, I don't think anybody in that trade has obviously met their ceiling, like I said, with Swanson. But um, yeah, what a, what a crazy day that was. And That's I remember strange. texting you, Tyler, right when it went down. Yeah. Because we had Swanson on the podcast, right? Like, just before that, or recently around that time right we were so pumped to get the number one overall pick from 2015 uh he joined us it was a great time he was always so great to us he was he was awesome dansby coming up would always i mean every time we requested him for a story he was great to talk with with our writers he was great on the podcast and um yeah just a a dude who was very easy for us to root for and yeah i just remember my jaw hitting the floor when that trade went down yeah and then uh, immediately trying to figure out okay who's the shortstop of the future for the Atlanta Braves, is right. it Ozzie Albies or is it Dansby Swanson? Because both of those guys were really good uh, the year before. Uh, Swanson coming up just briefly, but it turns out uh, Swanson was, but Albies might be the overall better player at second base. So uh, you can take a lesson from that, is that when you think there's a positional logjam, these things tend to work themselves out in a way we're kind of seeing now, not to, this is a uh, issue we're going to address this week, but Joey Bart, we always wondered what's going to happen with him. Patrick Bailey being below him in the San Francisco Giants system. Now Buster Posey's retiring, and guess what? Joey Bart's going to be the Giants catcher of the future and the, the present, most likely. So these things have a way of working themselves out, and it certainly did that in Atlanta. And uh, they've still got Ronald Acuna Jr., by the way. He's he's uh, he's going to be back and is one of the best players in baseball. It's a very good team. Uh, in Atlanta. It's going to be an interesting offseason, obviously, but it's a, a very good team in Atlanta that's not going away. Uh, apologies to the rest of the National League East. And uh, with the caveat, by the way, that uh, our good buddy Andrew Batafrano tweeted out that uh, – the National League East had had every team in its ranks in the World Series in uh, in the 21st century, um, and that accurate and incorrect and, and whatever. It was still a terrible division in 2021. <laughs> I'm not defending the National League East. I'm not up for you, National League East defenders. Sorry, I don't think Andrew's one of those. I just had to I had to pick on him because he's our good pal. Um, <laughs> so with that, we're going to move on. Uh, the Arizona Fall League continues another couple of weeks of AFL action. Um, there have been some really impressive prospect performances uh, over the last week plus or so. It feels like we're kind of, you know, week to week talking about guys, um, you know, pretty regularly as the same guys who continue starring down there. Uh, Gabriel Moreno, the catching prospect in the Toronto organization has been fantastic. Uh, Yoaki Cespedes has started to come alive. The White Sox prospect, the outfield prospect there. Um, there are so many guys who 
as we talked about last week, are kind of working on things uh, in the AFL over this time that even the numbers that they put up might not necessarily reflect what exactly they are accomplishing down there. But what over the last week has stood out most to you, Sam? Yeah, I'm going to point out two outfielders here real quick, um, and then I'll get to a pitcher. But the two outfielders are Suli Matias and Nelson Velazquez, who now lead the AFL in home yeah. runs. And I don't want to talk about them just because of that. They're, they're interesting things with both. Um, but Matias, I want to bring up because he's somebody who in recent years has fallen out of kind of the Royals top 30. Uh, and also just, I don't want to say all prospect him because he's still very much a prospect. That's why he's in the Arizona fall league, but he is very much a boomer bust prospect. He is somebody who swings hard when he makes contact, it goes farther than almost anybody in baseball. And I, and I include the major leagues there. This guy can routinely hit home runs at, a distance of 450 feet or greater. Uh, it is incredible stuff. Some of the best raw power in the minors right now uh, that comes with a ton of swing and miss. He's also had some pretty big injury issues the last couple of years. Um, but I think in 2018, he was competing for the minor league home run title. Uh, and we always thought, okay, this is a guy who's going to be on our radar. Now we just haven't seen much of him. He hasn't really cracked the upper majors. He strikes or upper minors rather. He strikes out a ton and he's continuing to do that in the fall league. Um, so it's kind of interesting, Tyler, you were saying guys get sent to the fall league to work on things. And I'm sure for Matias, they want him making more contact, but the fact that he's just kind of continuing to be himself is fascinating to me because it doesn't change the profile. It's just that he's continuing to, to be himself against what should be fairly difficult pitching. Pitching in the AFL this year is certainly down, but Suli Matias through 66 plate appearances has six home runs, which is tied with Nelson Velazquez for the top in the AFL. Uh, so six of his 13 hits have left the ballpark. He only has one other extra base hit. That is a double. So again, boomer bust. If he's making contact and it's hit hard, it's going over the wall. Uh, it is not going just to the gaps, but he's also struck out 21 times and he has just a 232 average. This is the maddening part about Suli Matias. Uh, and the Royals are going to have to make a decision with him. He is up for the rule five draft this year. I think he was last year as well. Um, but again, the contact rate and the fact that 2020 minor league season didn't happen and nobody got to see him uh, nobody took him but does is this fall league going to be enough to push him over the edge like do the royals finally protect him put him on the 40 man uh or is there a team out there who thinks like hey we will live with you striking out potentially 40 to 50 percent of the time in the major leagues if we can get you used to that level of pitching and someday hit 30 to 35 home runs for us um because that I won't even say that's his ceiling. His ceiling is like 40 to 50, uh, but he has to make enough contact for that to happen. So it's fascinating to see him do what he's doing this year for surprise. And then Nelson Velasquez, who I also mentioned in the Cub system, he's at the bottom. I think he's number 27 uh, in the Cub system right now, but had a fairly strong season this year. Um, was set, you know, when I talked to him down there in the Arizona Fall League, he said, I'm just looking to continue what I was doing. Um, just continue to try to produce. This is a showcase for me. Uh, I want them to, to know that I can continue to hit. And he's doing that so far. He's, he doesn't have the same issue Matias has. He has a little bit of, you know, he has a decent amount of strikeouts, 20 and 79 plate appearances. But again, six home runs. He's batting 388. He's got a 481 on base percentage. He's slugging, slugging 731. So he's got a 1.2. 1-2 OPS, which leads all Arizona Fall League 
qualifiers. Um, one thing I really like about Nelson Velasquez is he is kind of the quintessential right fielder. He's got a strong arm. I've seen it on display. It's not necessarily like Joey Weimer territory where we're throwing plus plus on it, but it's at least above average to plus. And if he's hitting like this, like, you know, in the AFL, then, you know, that potential for him to be a right fielder in Chicago becomes a little bit clearer. Um, he was on a radar. Like I said, he's a top 30 prospect, but the, the way he's performing is then even uh, even better um, and certainly opening eyes down there. I, I believe he's also rule five eligible this year. He's certainly playing his way onto the roster, but um, yeah, with the Cubs being where they are right now, you know, if, if we were having this discussion a year ago, we might say, well, the Cubs are a little crowded. They should be going for it with Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo around, um, you know, Javier Baez on the roster. They should be pushing for the NL Central. Now they're not in that place. And Velasquez has a real opportunity to win himself a job uh, on, you know, the north side of Chicago. So kudos to him for for taking advantage of this opportunity. And, yeah, going to be fascinating to see how he finishes out his time in Arizona. You know who else is uh, Rule 5 eligible this year? It's a big one. Oh, Kyler believe- Murray? Yes. Okay. I believe this goes back to a tweet from uh, Melissa Lockhart, who's a, uh, a staff writer at The Athletic. But it kind of caught fire on uh, on baseball, tw- on the baseball internet. Uh, Kyler Lurie, Kyler Murray, yes, uh, Rule 5 eligible in 2021. I can't imagine he'll get snagged. But you never know. Russell Wilson has moved through several different organizations despite having not played professional baseball in like over a decade. I don't even know. Yeah, who I- is he with now? Is I last checked Russell – yeah, last check, Russell Wilson was with the Yankees. Um, for anybody asking, like, how that happens, so the Rule 5 draft, there is the major league phase, which we all pay attention to. Right. And then there's the minor league phase for sickos like us that pay attention <laughs> to. And technically, if you are Rule 5 eligible, you know, everybody knows you have to be put on the 40-man roster to be protected from the major league phase. But you also, to be protected from the minor league phase, you have to be put on the AAA roster. Um, which is a little bit expanded. It's it's not just you know your typical twenty six man roster. It's it's a little bit bigger than that for the off season. And just because you're placed on the AAA roster doesn't mean you have to open the year at AAA. Um, but Russell Wilson, for example, was not protected on that AAA roster uh, previously. I think he was with the Rockies and then the Rangers. Right. I want to say right. Um, so the Yankees scooped him up and and said like, hey, we will have you on the roster. We're going to put you on the restricted list or whatever. Uh, the second the season starts, but this basically means like you can come to spring training or minor leaguers about what it is to be an elite professional athlete, what it's like to win a championship, um, to be at the pinnacle of your sport. You know, it, it could be worth something to somebody. Uh, Kyler Murray is not at Russell Wilson's level yet. I mean, the, the Arizona Cardinals are having a great season. He's obviously a very good quarterback, uh, but it might be in somebody's interest to be like, hey, Kyler Murray, we'll take you from the A's. If the A's don't protect him, mind you, the A's could decide to put him on the AAA Vegas roster and protect him from the minor league phase. Um, but, yeah, somebody could take him, pay him a couple thousand each year, show up to spring training, give a inspirational speech, and, uh, yeah, put him back on the restricted list. Russell Wilson was acquired by the Texas Rangers in the Rule 5 draft in that minor league phase. Uh, and then he was actually acquired – by the Yankees in a trade from the Rangers for future considerations, uh, according to a story from uh, 2019 when that happened. Um, I, I wonder whatever became of those future considerations. 2018, sorry. 
Like, do you think the Rangers had to fulfill that in some way where they like request from the Yankees? Like, can we get someone really good in return? You actually have, can we just throwing this out there? Is there any chance you'd include Jason Dominguez in this deal? Yeah. Jason. Yeah. In 2018, they were talking about Jason Dominguez. He was like 12 Um, in an exchange for Russell Wilson. seems like a good deal. Yes. Yes. I, I, I have asked about that before. Um, I don't have exact dollar amounts. It's usually just like, he, here's a couple thousand dollars for your future considerations. And None of it means like, anything. Well, yeah, it doesn't. It happens so often that it's it's a, a clerical error at a certain point. Right. Um, yeah, essentially. But, uh, but now you know. Now you know. That, that I would love to do a deep dive on that now. What if happens? your baseball <laughs> team is in need of an NFL quarterback, there is one available in the Rule 5 draft coming up next month. Uh, well, let's continue. We're going to talk a little bit more Arizona Fall League, and we are going to do it in a format that we discussed last week, which is a, a draft idea that came to us from a listener on Twitter. Sam sort of modified things. Uh, give us the rundown, Sam, again, of how this is going to operate for everyone. Yeah, so we're going to do this a little bit differently. It's going to be an Arizona Fall League draft. We've actually done this, I think, a couple of years ago, and it's just a fun thing. I know it's it's kind of a popular thing to do on podcasts now but you know we're, we are a sports podcast and this is this is technically the off season now uh for everybody but we also still have a season to talk about so let's let's do that through a draft uh but the way we're going to work this tyler and i hope you have the doc open to make this I sure easy do. on both of us okay uh we are going to draft each of us we are going to take one player at each position but we're going to work our way down uh, by position. So we're going to start a catcher. We're going to go to first base. We're going to go to second base, shortstop, three outfield spots. We will allow a DH uh, and then a right-handed pitcher and a left-handed pitcher to build our AFL rosters. Now, that being said, you can't draft anybody whenever. It has to be in their positional slot. Then once we have our teams filled, Tyler, then we, I, I don't know how we want to do this. Maybe we, we'll set a two minute clock thing. Maybe we won't want to do it at all. Maybe we'll be happy where we are, but then we can allow trades. Right. Uh, so for instance, let's say you get the third baseman that I really want and I get the shortstop that you really want. Right. Maybe we can work it out where I will take your third baseman and shortstop. You take my third baseman and shortstop in exchange for future cash considerations. Considerations, yes, which will not be in the thousands of dollars. I want right. to say that right now. Right, right, right. I will consider it. I guess <laughs> and in the thousands of won. Have you watched Squid Game yet? I have, and we I forgot we to talk about that on our other show. I'm only like, oh yeah, you have because I posted a thing about it and you said, oh, we got to talk about this. Um, I'm only uh, four episodes in, but it reminded me of how confused I was uh, the couple of times that I've been to Korea trying to do math to figure out the conversion rate where I'm like, oh, right, the wand, there's a whole thing. There's thousands (laughs) of those for the dollar and I majored in broadcasting. I don't know anything about math. Um, That was a long way to go to get to that joke that I made five minutes ago. Uh, Anyway... (laughs) So who's picking first, Sam? <laughs> um, I don't know how we, how should we do this, Tyler? I, I'll allow you first pick. Okay, you're so you're so benevolent. So just, be, just because I like being at the turn, you know what I mean? Okay. Like I like going okay. two three. Okay. Oh, you like the snake the snake selection? Yeah. And I go four or five. So you know. I mean, sure, but then whatever. Anyway. Make your pick. Okay, so we're going. So I'm going catcher first. I am selecting 
the number 32 overall prospect in the game of baseball. And that is Toronto Blue Jays catching prospect, Gabriel Moreno, who has been fantastic in the AFL. He's my dude. That, uh, that upsets me. Yes. I mean, my whole it's, goal it's the in any of pick. these drafts is to make you mad. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, don't do that specifically, but if you do do that, it'll be because you made a great team. I'm not going to do the D-backs thing and trade him away. Okay, by by six months from now, the equivalent of which in this podcast is like six minutes from now. And again, maybe I take the first later. That's true. It's possible. At you, yeah, it's true. Um, But yeah, Gabriel Moreno breakout year this year. If he had not, I think he suffered a broken hand. If he hadn't done that, then he would have uh, probably not been in the AFL, and very likely could have helped Toronto in its own playoff push. And yeah, who knows if he could have pushed them over the edge and, and made them into a wild card team, but right. super fun to watch in the AFL right now. I think he leads the league in doubles despite yes, being out right. completely for the first week. Right. He didn't play at all the first week. He's more than caught up to the competition down there. Uh, if you watch him, he's got kind of a weird setup where he does a lot of movement pre-pitch, but then he gets locked in by the time the ball gets in there and he shoots it all over the place. So yeah. um, one of our breakout prospects of 2021 and now the first overall pick in our AFL draft. I am not saying all of this to delay making my own selection at catcher. Um, I'm going to go with Austin Wells. Oh, okay. Who, let's be honest, it might not be a catcher in the future. Right. I will fully acknowledge that. Um, the, the Yankees want to keep him there. He wants to stay there. Ask him about it for two seconds. He's, he will answer you point blank. I am a catcher. Um, there's some concerns about that on both ends, his throwing ability, his framing ability, all that kind of stuff. But I will say, and this is one thing we should always take into consideration now with catching prospects. We don't know if robot umpires are going to come to baseball at, at the top level. They're already playing it. You know, they, We saw it last year at Low A Southeast. We saw it uh, this fall in the AFL in Salt River. I think we might get to a point when Austin Wells, maybe a year or two into his major league career, doesn't have to worry about framing as much as he did. Uh, and if that's the case, he might be one of the best hitters in the AFL period who also plays a premium position, which is huge. So I, I'm going to take the, the hit defensively, but he is a great overall hitter. He can hit for average. He can hit for power. Uh, I think he kind of plugs – we'll see how the rest of my team – like fills out here, but I think making him like my number five hitter right off the bat is, is making me feel pretty comfortable. So I'm going to stay in the AL East uh, and go with Austin Wells for my catching spot. Then I'm going to, I'm going to go to first base and I'm going to stay at uh, in the AL East. I swear this will not be a theme throughout the show, but maybe this is why I wanted to go second Tyler. Um, Cause I'm going to go with Tristan costs. Yep. Uh, Tristan Cassis, uh, excuse me, but yeah, Tristan Cassis, I think pretty easily the best first base prospect in the AFL uh, this fall. Hasn't quite shown the power that you would expect of somebody his frame, and that even goes back to his time at Double A Portland. Um, but easily one of the best first base prospects in the game. I actually loved watching him play defense at first base. He was drafted as a third baseman, uh, but the Red Sox pretty quickly after he suffered an injury were like, "Listen, you're too big." We like you enough to play first base. We like your bat enough to play at first base. Let's move you to first base. Won a silver medal this year with Team USA. Got some great experience there. Um, should be knocking on the door of Fenway early in 2022. 
Uh, we'll see what happens with Bobby Dahlbeck if, if he can claim first base for himself. But I think Tristan Cassis is the first baseman of the future for the Red Sox. Uh, pretty good all-around player for the first base position. Uh, we'll hit enough to provide value there. So I'm, I'm going to take him. Uh, and if we're talking about Austin Wells at number five, Tristan Cost is at number four in my lineup, and I'm feeling good about that. Okay. Um, I am going to go, this won't surprise anybody, Michael Tolia of the Colorado Rockies organization, who uh, is the sixth-ranked prospect in that system. I'm very high on Michael Tolia. I love that pick when they snagged him out of UCLA in the first round back in 2019. He is a switch hitter with plus power. Uh, a guy who can drive the ball pretty much everywhere. And ordinarily, I think you you worry, uh, especially if you're uh, a franchise that has struggled to find a first baseman for quite some time now, I think you worry defensively. What is this guy going to look like if he can crush at the plate? Does that mean that he's limited defensively? It's not really the case with Michael Tully. He's a really good defender. He actually played corner outfield a little bit in college and in the Cape Cod League. Um, so I'm going to go with him. At first base, uh, not a huge surprise, um, which then frees me up for my second base selection. And uh, I, I got to snag a guy who I think is going to make you mad. Are you watching me type it in right now? I can't see it. I can see you in the box. Oh, okay. Uh, Nick Gonzalez of the Pittsburgh Pirates oh, organization. <laughs> yes! Yes! Two out of my three picks are making Sam annoyed. Uh, man, I love Nick Gonzalez. I have such a prospect crush on Nick Gonzalez, uh, who is at Hyatt Greensboro this year. The thing that I love about Nick Gonzalez is he is the embodiment of how uh, people from other parts of the baseball landscape uh, kind of attempt to dunk on guys who play in communities where, yes, maybe the air is a little thinner, hashtag Coors. But Nick Gonzalez, when he was in college, at New Mexico State, put up just ridiculous numbers. Uh, he only played 16 games in his final year there, his junior year in 2020. He batted 448, 610, 448 average, 610 on base percentage, 1155 slugging percentage. And people are like, ah, there's no way that's going to last. This kid's not going to be able to hit. When he was in the Cape Cod League, he hit 351, 451, 630. He's hit everywhere and i just love that people continue doubting nick gonzalez and he continues to be very very good uh this season with high eight greensboro missed some time with injury but over 80 games he batted 302 with a 385 on base percentage and a 565 slugging percentage he doubled 23 times and homered 18 times in those 80 games i love nick gonzalez big prospect crush on the second baseman in the pittsburgh pirates organization and he is my dude yeah, I, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised that you took Nick Gonzalez. The reason I was upset was that there are some other good second basemen on the board um, that I thought maybe you would like somebody else uh, and we could sneak him through. Here's uh, – I'm going to take Nolan Gorman. And I don't do it with that much trepidation. It, Nolan Gorman move hey, – You said that very from, hesitantly. Well, here – I'm going uh, to take into Nolan this. Gorman. Yes. I, let me get into it for a second. Okay. Because this, this is, I should explain my trepidation and then I will explain my excitement. My trepidation here is Nolan Gorman at second base because he should be a third baseman. That's basically who he was drafted as. That's what he came up as. But the Cardinals have another good Nolan at third base. And it immediately after the Cardinals acquired Arenado, sorry to bring I've, that up. Tyler. I've never heard of him. Who? Yeah. Who is this? I can give you a whole scouting report. He was Never. really, really good for a few years, and then they traded him. Never heard of him. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not familiar with this guy. Uh, but almost immediately after that happened, Nolan Gorman was like, I guess I'm a second baseman now. 
And he worked on that throughout the season. Part of the reason why he's in the AFL is to continue to get reps at second base. I don't think he's a fully formed second baseman yet. That's my trepidation is that, you know, I took Austin Wells, who's probably not a great defensive set, uh, catcher. Now I'm taking Nolan Gorman, who's probably not a great defensive second baseman. But my bats are going to be loud, man. Like Nolan Gorman has some of the best raw power among top 100 prospects uh, coming into the year. It hasn't quite shown up in a way of like, oh, it, it shows up in the stats. Uh, but I think that's because he's been young pretty much everywhere he's played. Played much of the year at AAA Memphis this year, um, where he was one of the younger hitters in AAA. Held his own there. Has been doing okay in the fall league. I, I think he's very much still a part of St. Louis's future. Uh, and again, you know, bringing some left-handed pop to my lineup. I'm very lefty heavy right now, uh, but that's okay. I, I'm willing to live with that to get Nolan Gorman in my lineup. So I'm going to take him at my second base spot. Now we move to third base, uh, which, you know, it, hmm. There is a guy I really like at third base. Okay. There is an obvious pick, and there's a guy I really like at third base, and I'm not going to say who I really like mm. because I want him as my DH. And oh, I'm interesting. Guessing on, okay. on who that is. Okay. You might take him. You might yeah. take him, and I will flip over this table, which is very big in this conference room right now. Uh, but I'm going to go with Brett Beatty. Ah, um, okay. Brett Beatty seems like the obvious pick here. Guy who tore up the league at, at high A Brooklyn this year and was essentially his first full season. Um, but the, yeah, did really well at Brooklyn moved to Birmingham, uh, Binghamton, excuse me, uh, did okay. There didn't numbers didn't quite pop off, but if you're looking for somebody who can tear the cover off the ball, it's Brett Beatty. His exit velocities are always impressive. Uh, he's done that early in the fall league. I know there was early on, he got off to a hot start and then he's been cold ever since but the underlying data was even there, even when he was getting some cheap hits early in the fall league, some of his hardest hit balls were actually outs as well. Um, pretty good third baseman actually surprised me at how good he is at third base. The Mets have moved him around to the outfield as well. Uh, just because they have Mark Vientos in the system. They also have Jalen Palmer, who's a decent third baseman in his own right. So they're trying to get him multiple looks. Uh, but I think Brett Beatty is the future of third base for the New York Mets. Uh, happy to get him in my lineup. And yeah, the way this is working out, I've got a lot of middle of the order guys. I might have to find somebody who can hit at the top, but that's future Sam's problem. Uh, Wells, Cassis, Gorman, and Beatty. That might be a home run derby. Never mind a lineup. That might be a home run derby. So I'm pretty happy with that. Tyler, are you taking a third base? And are well, you going to make me cry? I, I hope so, but I'm not sure. Um, but as if you have listened to this podcast for a while, you, you are familiar with my and Sam's baseball journeys. Uh, I spent a good portion of my baseball life working in the Australian baseball league. You <laughs> son of a go on, tell your story. And so with those roots, I am of course going to love a prospect like Adelaide, South Australia born Curtis Mead of the Tampa Bay Rays organization and um, snagging, uh, snagging Curtis Mead. Sorry, man. I really thought that Cody Hosey was going to be your guy. No, I, I mean, I, Cody, Cody Hosey is good. I, I, I don't have my issues with Cody Hosey, um, but Curtis oh, Mead I'm, is just I'm so, very happy to steal him from you. Yes. <laughs> Curtis Mead was such a fun breakout player to watch this yeah. year. 
Yeah, he really um, was. And that's the thing. Coming into this season, we didn't really know what to expect from Curtis Mead. He had only played at rookie level. He played in the GCL in 2018 and 2019. Combined, he had only played 46 games. So you didn't really know... Still a relatively young guy. He's only 21, but this year he played at low A, at high A. He got to triple A for four games this season. Um, I don't think we'll see him necessarily. Uh, if there, if this was a normal world and we had been seeing just the constant prospect progression, I don't think necessarily we would look at 2022 and think, okay, they're going to send uh, you know, this by then. Uh, well, no, he'll still be just 21 at the start of next season. I don't think we would see the race send him back to triple A. Um, but the way he was this season, he was fantastic. And uh, yes, it's only four games at AAA, obviously, but he held his own, uh, acquitted himself very well in Durham. Uh, I just really, I really like Curtis Mead. Sorry, Sam, not at all. Yeah, Kurt, Curtis Mead just hits everywhere, um, yeah. everywhere yeah. he's been so far. It's a great job by Ray's pro scouting to when they had a 40 man roster crunch and they had to get rid of Christopher Sanchez. They, yep. The Phillies are like, well, we're willing to get take here's a guy like you said the Rays didn't scout him in Australia or if they did they didn't approach him to sign him um, right so their interest really came on the pro side once he dipped his toe in the American waters and the way he's taken off has been really fun and and to watch him hit it's a really simple approach he stands upright in the box he's not a huge and, and really digging in. He just kind of stands upright, sees the ball, and it smacks it up the middle consistently. Uh, he, he's played third base. He's played first base. He might actually end up being a second baseman uh, because of some arm issues and whatever. Um, but I kind of envisioned him in like a Joey Wendell role for the Tampa Bay Rays in a couple of years' time, whether that's 2022 or 2023 or beyond. Um, but the fact that he's hit everywhere would have been my perfect DH. Well, if not you, for that meddling mon, you can now envision him in that role on my team, Sam. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to tell you Go that. For it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Take your shortstop. <laughs> I'm going to the Phillies organization. I'm getting Bryson Stott for my, uh, my shortstop pick. Uh, I really like Bryson Stott as a prospect. He's another, we're, we're taking these dudes who are, uh, you know, probably with the exception of Gabriel Moreno, they're like a little bit of, uh, they're a gang of mercenaries, man. They're they're the they're the prospects that not everybody thought Nick Gonzalez was going to hit everywhere. Curtis Mead comes out of nowhere. Uh, you know, he's a guy from a non-traditional baseball country. Bryson Stott, he's from Vegas. Yes, has Vegas produced Chris Bryant and Joey Gallo and Bryce Harper? Sure. But we're going to pretend as though it's just baseball outlaws out there and nobody respects them. We're building a team of grinders here. That's what we're doing, Sam. Uh, not to say that Gabriel Moreno is not one of those. I'm just saying he's a very highly uh, doubted guy. And, uh, you know, he's also uh, a stud. Um, but uh, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm snagging. That was a very complicated explanation of five guys that I've picked this team <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah bryson stott is we talked about this when we were doing uh, a top 100 update and we were trying to figure out if stott should go on there stott does everything well right to above averagely well right above averagely he's just consistently there. good at everything and that's and that's carried over to the fall league yeah. i think he's looked like one of the more complete shortstops there he certainly looks like he belongs against the top talent that is in that league this fall um so who is he going to be going forward? I don't think he's going to be, you know, a five, six time all-star, but you know, I remember Jonathan Mayo saying to me once, maybe we kind of undervalue guys who just do everything well. And then something's going to click at some point. Um, if you can do everything well, there's going to be a major league spot for you somewhere. So for the Philadelphia Phillies, maybe that's shortstop, maybe that's second base. I know he's got a little bit of time there as well, but 
shortstop pick is pretty good. I'm going to go all ceiling here in my shortstop pick. Somebody okay. who did not end the season well, uh, has not been great in the fall league, though I did see him hit two homers in one game. That is Marco Luciano. Ah, okay. Of the San Francisco Giants. Now, it's very easy to get down on Marco Luciano right now. Like I said, at, at high AUG, and I think he struck out 37% of the time. He even said, I'm struggling with the breaking ball. I haven't seen it that often. Uh, so part of the reason he's in the fall league is just to get reps against better breaking balls. Yeah. Uh, the two home runs he's hit so far have both been on breaking balls, so that was a big step for him. But we should note, even if he's having a tough fall league, he is the youngest player. Yeah, he's playing 20. in that circuit right Marco now. Marco Luciano yeah. is 20, and he just turned 20 in September. Right. This was his age 19 season. Yeah. Um, if you watch him play, talk about the ball screaming off the bat, like he makes hard contact a right. lot when he does make contact. Uh, I think he can be a, a shortstop. He's a little bit bigger than you would expect for a shortstop, but we're kind of in that age of bigger shortstops. Um, he has the arm to play there. He is – at the end of the season, we had him as a top 10 overall prospect – We'll see if he's going to slide based off some of the reports we got out of high Eugene and out of the AFL, but his ceiling is as good as any shortstop prospect in baseball period. Uh, and now for him to be available in his AFL drafts, I'm going to take him. We're going to work on that breaking ball, Marco. We're going to make sure you make more contact and make use of your incredible raw power. Cause it is definitely there. And it, he could easily be one of the most electric bats in all of major league baseball, whenever he makes it to San Francisco. So Marco Luciano is my shortstop pick. Uh, now we're moving to the outfield. Tyler, I'm going to talk about electric tools. There, there are a couple different ways we could go here. I just want this guy on my team. Dang it. I think I know where you're going. Uh, I, uh, we'll see. I don't know if he's the best prospect in the outfield. I don't. I, I, he was certainly a breakout guy this year for me in the Brewer system, following the Brewer system as closely as I did. Ooh. Joey Weimer. Ah, okay. Not who I thought. Yes. Joey okay. Weimer is my outfield pick. Joey Weimer has tools for days. He can. He has above average power. He can certainly run above average to plus times there. He has a plus-plus arm. This is a guy who was working as a closer during his days at University of Cincinnati. You stick him in right field, you don't really have to worry about uh, guys trying to advance a base. He can throw it hard. And he did that in the AFL when I was down there a couple of weeks back, um, exhibiting that a couple times, uh, unleashing the arm. The big question is the hit tool. Uh, when we put a grade on it this summer, we went with a 40 on the 20 to 80 scale because he is a grip it and rip it guy. Even the, the brewer said like, hey, he goes up there and swings hard whenever he's swinging. And when he makes contact, it goes a long way. And when he doesn't, he can kind of corkscrew himself into the ground. But it's been working to, so far. The reason why he fell in the draft and why a lot of people may not have known his name coming into 2021 is he didn't have that power in college, at least in game. He wasn't lifting the ball as well. We talk about launch angle a ton, obviously, in baseball now. But he was somebody who was pretty consistently hitting the ball into the ground. He's made some adjustments. He still swings hard, but he's lifting the ball more. And that's seeing some major power breakout, especially what he showed at high A Wisconsin uh, to end the season. He's carried that to the AFL so far. There might be better outfield prospects available here, but I want the, those tools in my lineup and in the field, it, however I can get them. So Joey Weimer is my first outfield pick. Tyler, you get two now. 
Okay, interesting. I did not think that that was where you were going. I am going to friend of the show, J.J. Bladé in the Miami Marlins organization, uh, who is another guy who, you know, the numbers during the minor league season this year uh, did not necessarily blow you away. He spent 110 games with double-A Pensacola, batted 212 with a 6.95 OPS. Um, J.J. Bladé is going to get it figured out. He is a guy who is uh, as – uh, competent and polished a ball player, I think, is you're going to get in the in the first round of the draft. He was a fourth overall pick back in 2019. And you think about these guys who were just coming into pro ball in 2019. You've got uh, a circumstance where you jump in, in the case of somebody like Blade out of the draft. He played that season uh, for then Class A Advanced Jupiter, 38 games. Closes out that year, gets in what we thought was going to be a normal offseason. Then all of a sudden, no baseball in 2020. So he's not getting regular work, uh, at least in terms of competitive games, being at a ballpark, road trips, all that type of stuff. And then you get out of that uh, back into this strange world of 2021. And the numbers weren't great, uh, but tools are there. Um, the polish is there. I just like J.J. Bleday. Uh, in, in a guy who, um, you know, we, we loved having on the show as well. Um, and behind him, another dude who I've got a big pros- prospect crush on, um, who is not a traditional prospect because he is a little bit older, um, given the route that he had to take to get to professional baseball in the United States. And that is Yoelki Cespedes, who is, of course, yes, the younger brother of Yoenna Cespedes and uh, is 24 years old, but was a guy who came into this season in 2021 saying, yeah, I don't really care that it's my first year uh, in pro ball. I want to be in the major leagues this season. And he didn't reach the major leagues, but he did reach double A Birmingham, uh, was limited to 72 games, but combined between high A Winston-Salem and double A Birmingham, uh, a batting average of 285 and OPS uh, of just north of eh, 810 and ended up at 813. Um 350 on base percentage, a 463 slugging percentage. I really like uh, the the younger Cespedes, and uh, he's my second selection, which I think means that you're going to snag the last outfielder that I want. You get yes, two I'm now, gonna, but I think I'm going to get two outfielders one. here uh, real quick. And mine are first, I'm going to go with the guy who technically isn't a prospect, but the, we didn't say this, these have to be prospects. They are um, AFL stars. They are AFL stars, guys playing in the Arizona Fall League. This season, not counting Spencer Torkelson, we should say, if you're at home screaming, why haven't you guys taken Torkelson? We're, we're taking guys who are active entering this week. Right. Um, so Spencer Torkelson out early with an injury. Um, Riley Green also not available here right. at the outfield spot because he never appeared in the fall league. Uh, so just so you all know. But, yeah, my guy technically no longer a prospect, but already has tons of major league experience, so much so that he graduated from the major league level. Uh was at one point leading the AFL in home runs. He's somebody yeah. who said he was trying to hit for more power. That is Lars Newpar of the St. Louis Cardinals. And he's a businessman. He is a businessman. Yes. He, uh, he told me that he is going to be starting some sort of candy bar at some point. It's going to be geared towards athletes, which kind of sounds like it's just going to be like something that you find at a Dick's Sporting Goods right before you check it. I don't know. Like it, it, it's going to be the new bar. Uh, he has trademarked his own name, which is insane. <laughs> good for him. Like good for him for coming up, being a fan favorite in St. Louis and trying to cash in on that while he can, but he has looked good in the fall. league. He has looked like somebody who has seen the major leagues. He was on the, the St. Louis wild card roster. Didn't appear in that game, but was still there. 
Um, so obviously they think enough of him to make him a fourth outfield type. Now they sent him to the fall league to get more at bats that he didn't get while he was on the major league bench. So he's making up for that time right. uh, in Arizona right now. But if he can hit for like average power, I think the other tools are kind of there. He's showed an improved hit tool at triple a Memphis before the call up. Uh, he can play multiple outfield spots. So can be kind of versatile for us in that way. Uh, but yeah, Lars Newbar from the major leagues to my AFL team. So he's, he's my next one. And now I need my final. Uh, you do. Yeah. Spot. So. Hmm. I'm going to go with somebody who may not have really been on my radar coming into 2021, but played his way on there. I like the way he reaches base a ton. It's Richie Palacios. Okay. Of the Cleveland organization. Uh, Richie Palacios had a 404 on base percentage during the season. Didn't strike out a ton at double A AA and triple A uh, 70 strikeouts, 58 walks, 20 stolen bases. I kind of need a top of the lineup guy. The way my lineup is built right now. I don't have that, that classic leadoff hitter. Palacios is perfect for that for me right now. Above average hit, below average power, good run tool. Um, doesn't have quite the arm, but I think I can put him in center field. Weimer in right, Newbar in left. Feeling pretty good about that. Uh, Palacios is going to reach base a ton. He's going to put pressure on the base pass. Yeah, Richie Palacios is my outfielder. Okay. Um, then I'm going to round out my roster by creating a little bit of rivalry between our two sides. You've got a Brewers prospect in your outfield in Joey Weimer. I now have Joe Gray Jr., who is a second-round selection of mm. the Brewers organization in 2018. Uh, Joe Gray Jr., still just 21, played this year at low A and high A. He was a 2020 guy. He hit 20 homers. He stole 23 bases. Um, a very good tool set and uh, a player who just seems like he is primed for a breakout. Um, I know he's dealt with a little bit of, uh, of injury issues his first couple of seasons, a hamstring strain. Uh, he had pneumonia, I know, at one time that, that kind of limited him. Um, but I like him. I like him. Joe Gray Jr. is uh, he's my dude for that final outfield spot, which brings us to the uh, the close of our selection on the offensive side. The final pick for a guy with a bat before we go uh, to the pitcher's designated hitter selection. Um, we uh, have made it through all positions. Um, Sam has already chosen my DH for me and his DH for him. And on uh, his side of the Google Doc, he wrote all of the good players. And on my side, he wrote all of the bad players, which is not necessarily the draft strategy that I would have. I just want all the guys in the AFL to know that Sam thinks some of you are bad. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you are going to draft. This was my prediction. I, I just wanted to save you some time. Here. I just want you to know that the next guy that I pick now is going to be uh, tainted with the knowledge that you think he's bad. I that's true. I I've, I've, I've <laughs> I, I was trying to paint you into a corner, and now I've just painted. I've myself spun it around. It. Don't yeah. try to get into a spin more with me, Sam Dykstra. Um, I'm going Sam Huff. One Sam okay. for another. All right. I'm picking the big bat of Sam Huff. He had a home run like nine thousand feet in Frisco this year. It's up for uh, for a Milby for uh, home run of the year. Uh, that's what I'm taking for my designated hitter. I love that. I love the power bat, man. I debated 
some other dudes. I debated Jan Juan Yepes of the uh, of the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Uh, Jeter Downs, obviously a guy who you know we know the ceiling is high for him. Uh, Nelson Velasquez, who has been terrific so far uh, in the in the AFL. Justin Foscu, another prospect who is a uh, very interesting talent as well. But I'm going Sam Huff. I love him. Gives me a little bit of big bat positional versatility. If I need to put him in the lineup, he can catch. He can play first. Um, that's what I'm taking. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I, I hadn't even considered him. Wow. To be honest, which is, which is a fault of my own. I gotta say it is, you know, um, Sam Huff is is like, yeah, if you need somebody to hit a 500 foot Homer in the minor leagues, like he's going to be your guy to do that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He is perfect for the DH like that. That's why I love that. That pick by you, Tyler. Um, you know, it's, uh, I won't. I won't say that we expected you to have not even considered a talent like, like Sam Huff, but in my organization, we did expect, Oh, the Dykstra people, they're not even going to have an eye on this dude who's going to be a star for us. We did expect that. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be awkward at the next good Sam club meeting uh, (laughs) that we have major league League baseball postseason presented by good Sam. Yeah. That that uh, meet once a month. We sponsored the entire major league postseason. You and all of the other good Sams. Yes. That's the yeah. power that we wield. Yeah. Um, and clearly the amount of money that I have <laughs> from working this job is that I can sponsor the MLB postseason. Right, 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 right. Is money that goes back to me as an MLB employee. Exactly. Um, but anyways, no, Sam Huff is, is a great pick. And uh, thank you. Yeah. So I, I'm going to go with somebody you did mention there. Tyler is another consideration. Wait, do you go now or do I go now? I already I go, lost I track. Oh, haven't you haven't picked. picked. That's right, because I picked Joe Gray Jr. Never mind. Yes. I lost my uh, my train of thought from five minutes ago. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so you uh, you got Sam Huff. I got. I'm going to take Juan Yepes. Oh, okay. Um, he was my is other, he one my of the best guy? prospects on this list. Maybe not. We still don't know who Juan Yepes is. This was a breakout season for him this year at the minor league levels between Double A AA and Triple A. Uh, finished with 29 or 27 homers, excuse me, had a 969 OPS hit uh, above 270 at both levels that he played, which was double A Springfield and triple A Memphis slugged above 500 really became a hitter all his own. And the Cardinals liked him enough. We, we talked earlier about Lars Nupar making the NL wildcard roster. Yepes did as, as well. He didn't actually play in the game, but if he would have, if he would have come up as a pinch hitter or something like that, he would have made his major league debut in the postseason, adding his name to a list that you know we saw many guys do that last year. Uh, Juan Yepes would have been right there alongside them, which would have been fascinating and and is telling of what the Cardinals think of him. Uh, he's had a pretty good fall league, just kind of continuing on doing what he was doing during the regular season. As of recording, he's got a 298 average, five homers, 1.031 OPS. Yeah, he's an upper level guy. He probably should be performing in the fall league, but still the fact that he's really kept on trucking. He's got a walk strikeout ratio. That's almost even. Um, so he's not striking out a ton either. Lots to like with Juan Yepes. If you're going to put him anywhere, DH spot is good by me. I know they tried to play him in the outfield. Uh, he's probably a first base only guy, but with Paul Goldschmidt there, the Cardinals need to move him around. Uh, but I will slot him in at DH, uh, especially like I was talking about earlier. I kind of have a lefty heavy lineup going. Uh, putting Yepes in there as a as a right-handed bat, I think is is certainly going to help me. Um, so I, I I do feel bad. I think Justin Foscue was going to be my pick if you took Yepes. 
uh, or vice versa. If you took Foscu, I was going to go with Vipez. Okay. Um, so I, I feel bad that he's left off this list. I like him a lot, um, given what he showed this year between high A and double A and now yeah. in the fall league. But uh, yeah, Yepes, near major league ready product prospect, if not already major league ready. Like I said, he, he technically cracked a major league roster. Uh, and yeah, putting him right in that heart of that lineup, I'm not going to think twice about it. Okay. So I guess I have right-handed pitcher now. You do. This is tough because the pitching in the fall league this year. Yeah, it's been rough. Has been rough. And I think I'm going to go with some. This is kind of going off the board. I'm definitely not. I just said this about you, Pez. Like, I don't think he's necessarily the best prospect that I can take here. Yeah. But I'm getting on the train. Because this guy has easily had the best fall league of any pitcher. I'm going Owen White. Okay. Okay. Of the Texas Rangers system. I just I just said I wish I could have taken Justin Foscue. Um, so I'm I'm dipping over to the Texas Rangers system. Owen White has had a really frustrating beginning to his career, battled multiple injuries, uh, was about to come back this year for the Texas Rangers. Did a little bit, pitched a little bit uh in their system this year, but basically was coming back. And got injured in his first start, I believe, because he got frustrated and either punched something or anyways, he injured himself in his frustration, which pushed him back even further. He's got Tommy John surgery on the uh, on the docket for him. He was a 2018 second rounder who didn't pitch in the minors until 2021, in part because of the 2020 canceled season. But again, Tommy John surgery meant it took him a while to get there. And even when he was pitching this year, he only threw through 35 and a third innings. Uh, but he struck out 56 batters in those 35 and a third innings. And what we've seen out of the fall league so far, like I said, he's easily been the best pitcher, at least results-wise. He's got a 1-4 ERA over four starts, struck out 19 batters, walked nine in 19 and a third innings, 0.98 whip, 156 average against. The stuff has certainly been there. I caught one of his starts. I think I actually caught his first start. Uh, he's basically been very consistent. His first three starts were all five innings. His fourth one was four and a third innings in which he only gave up one earned run. He's got a good curveball and slider. That's where he's getting a lot of these strikeouts, um, but he's working well with his fastball. It's kind of, you know, that 93, 94, 95 range. Um, so above average to plus velocity, he can tick up a little higher. When I spoke to him, he was really pleased with how his changeup was coming along and how he felt more confident in that. And once batters knew they had to deal with the changeup, uh, it was really difficult for them to sit on the fastball or think about the breaking pitches, and that's what allowed him to get swing and misses on those. Um, Owen White right now is the number 29 Rangers prospect. I think based off what he's showing in the fall league, we can bake in a pretty healthy jump. He's not in top 100 territory yet because, again, he just hasn't pitched that much in the minor leagues. We need to see it more. But the ceiling is there for him that he's been showing so far. Like, he can be a mid-rotation starter. He just needs to get those innings again and, and show over longer term that he can be healthy. I'm kind of making that bet here, um, but given what, what the AFL has shown us in terms of pitching and, and the, the fact that Owen White has been head and shoulders above almost anybody else, at least in terms of results, uh, I feel pretty comfortable having him be one of my two members of the pitching staff. We're not going to fill out a bullpen, but uh, yeah, he'll be my right-handed representative. We're only... Uh, going to have two guys on the pitching side. These two dudes have to carry our entire squads. So maybe I should have work somebody load. with more experience, somebody who might not break maybe down real, and have it injury issues. But a that's real right. heavy workload. Um, I uh, no team would be complete 
without a dude who came up in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization and therefore is going to be like a Cy Young winner at some point in his life. So I'm going with Landon Knack, the right-handed pitching slash left-handed hitting, according to uh, our stats portal. Uh, Landon Knack, who this season, the you know, the ERA, eh, whatever, 4.26. He's given up 11 hits, uh, six runs, all of them earned on two homers over 12 and two-thirds. But peripherals, I very much like. 234 average against a 1.18 whip. He has struck out 14 against four walks in 12 and two thirds innings. Uh, I'm, I'm going with Landon Knack as my right-handed pitching prospect, just a guy who, uh, you know, again, we're kind of mixing in the work uh, that these guys have done in the fall league, as well as their prospect profiles and all of that. Um, and Landon Knack, yeah, there have not been a whole lot of great seasons among especially the right-handed pitchers uh, in the Arizona Fall League that we were choosing uh, between. But Landon Knack, who was a second-round pick in 2020, um, I'm going for it. I'm going for him as my, uh, as my right-handed guy, which brings us to our final selection, left-handed pitchers. And uh, I got to go with Asa Lacey. Uh, the Kansas City Royals pitching prospect who has been outstanding so far for the surprise Sawaros and the AFL. 15 strikeouts in seven and two-thirds. He has walked six. Opponents are batting 185 against him. Uh, he's only given up two runs. He is uh, 2-0 and with a 2.35 ERA. Hashtag pitcher wins. Um, Ace Lacey's a stud, man. And the, the Royals, we've talked for so many years about how the Royals were loading up on, on pitching talent, the prospect ranks. Uh, Ace Lacey maybe the most exciting among those guys. And uh, he is still uh, on the way for Kansas city. So I'm going with him and that rounds out my roster, which is going to beat yours. <laughs> okay. That's, that's <laughs> fine. Um, I will round out my picks with what might be the most controversial. Ah, we're ending on a hot note. We are ending on a hot. I think note. I know where you're going. Yeah, you, you should. Um, I, I mentioned earlier in the show that, Guys who were eligible for this list had to have entered the week on an AFL roster. This guy technically did. He's no longer in the AFL. His AFL is over. Um, but because he started the week on, on the Peoria roster, I'm going to count him. It is Mackenzie Gore. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not going to say I'm all in on Mackenzie Gore. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. I, I saw one really rough outing from him. Well, that's um, what a guy to wants catch- to hear when he gets drafted. Not yeah. saying I'm all in on this guy. Couldn't be further from the truth. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, listen, like, I, I have serious questions about what Mackenzie Gore is. Looking at this left-handed pitching group, again, pitching has been rough. I think he ha- he still has the ceiling. Like, he still has a legit ceiling as a number one pitcher. The stuff is still there. Uh, it's just the inability to command it. The, he's tinkered a lot with his delivery the last basically two years at this point um, in 2019, he might've been the most dominant pitcher in the minor leagues last year. We heard some you know questions about his command that uh, I talked to him at the fall league. He said it was, it was about his hands and trying to get them into a consistent place. Um, not trying to move them around too much. That was not helping him in terms of both command and control. Uh, he's been Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the fall league uh, came out to a really good start five innings to earn runs only one walk in his first outing. Then he walked five of the 11 batters he faced in his second time out. And I watched him and it wasn't really close. He was really having trouble hitting his spots. Uh, third start. It, it, it was a, a mix of the two. I would say he gave up seven hits, gave up three earned runs Two two of those runs were home runs, uh, but he did last five innings. He didn't walk anybody. He struck out five. 
the fastball, curveball, slider, changeup are all above average to plus pitches when he's hitting his spots. The movement on them is pretty good. Uh, the velocity on them is pretty good. But can he put all those pieces together? When I was talking to people in the Padres organization last year, they were highlighting, like, listen, this guy is 22. A lot of pitchers go through rough patches early. We were talking about Max Freed earlier. I'm not saying he's going to be Max Freed, but, like, Max Freed took a while to really, A, reach the upper minors because of injuries and solidify into a guy that we now know is basically a number two pitcher uh, for the World Series Atlanta Braves or World Series champion Atlanta Braves. I don't think Mackenzie Gore can do that, but he's still early enough in his development that I think he can kind of make those adjustments, iron these things out. And even if he needs to spend half of next year back at AAA El Paso, taking his lumps and, and, you know, like hammering out the details that are going to get him back to his 2019 form, the other pieces are, are there in ways that they aren't with other pitchers. So I'm willing to make the bet uh, that he does work things out. I, I feel like I made some risky picks here on the pitching side. Owen Wall somebody who has a history of injury issues Mackenzie Gore who looks hot and cold right now Um, but if one of those guys does well I think I have enough bats to make up for it and uh, yeah I feel I feel pretty comfortable with my team but Tyler we we laid out earlier that let I'm going to set a timer on my my clock right now I'm going to give us three minutes how about that it's a three minute trade deadline is there starting now uh, is there any swaps you want to make? No. <laughs> <laughs> I love my squad. My squad is loaded, son. Uh, no, I'm happy. I'm happy with my group. Uh, I got the the first overall pick. I got Gabriel Moreno, who I really wanted. Uh, look, just look at the studs that I have up the middle. You know, I got Moreno behind the plate. I got Bryson Stott at short. Very happy with Nick Gonzalez at second. Uh, my pitching staff, Landon Nack and Ace Lacey, coming at you right and left. Those dudes are, are studs. Uh, J.J. Blade, Yoki Cespedes, and Joe Gray Jr. Can mix and match them in the outfield. They can play anywhere. Um, no, I'm, I'm very pleased with my dudes. Uh, I, I feel like I only neglected to mention my corner infielders, Michael Tolia at first base and Curtis Mead at third. Uh, you know, I got an Aussie over there. I got, uh, the, the mountain West kids, uh, you know, in the, not conference related, but like, you know, geographically region related. Um, I'm happy with my team. Is there a deal that you want to make that will knock my socks off? Well, I have one cause obviously we talked earlier that I really like Curtis Mead. I love yeah. Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty's the better prospect. Yep. Um, been a lot of fun to, to watch him. I would give you Brett Beatty. <laughs> In exchange for Curtis Mead? In exchange for Curtis. Well, no, not just that. I mean, obviously. Just that's a straight up swap. Deal, but like you need to give me a better prospect too. So what if. Wow. Wow. Really dunking on Curtis Meat. You're trying to acquire Cur- first. You take Mackenzie Gore and say I'm not all in on him, and then you say, "Well, you need to give me a better prospect than the one that I'm asking you to trade to me." This yes, is- and we need to, to be do- balanced. Here. We need to do some PR uh, coaching before we put you in front of a, a gaggle of reporters, <laughs> a murder of reporters. So you're saying a flock you of do- reporters? You wouldn't do Curtis Mead and Aza Lacy for Brett Beatty and Mackenzie Gore? Nope. 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 We, we stick with our guys here on, uh, on the show before the show, Mon Squad. Mon Squad. 
The Monstars. Right, um, oh, how did I not think of that one? The Monstars. Except they lose in the end. So that, that Yeah, was, I was gonna say, you want to be the villains here? Like, I'm just the Monstars from the first half, up until halftime when Michael Jordan brings out the, the secret stuff. Uh the special stuff? The secret stuff? Uh, I don't know. Um, neither here nor there. No, I'm I'm sticking with I got I grabbed Curtis Mead and Asa Lacey for a reason. I love them. They're okay. my guys. All right. What I'll I'll one more as we got 15 seconds left here. Uh, Moreno and Mead for Beatty and Wells. How about that? Moreno and Mead for Beatty and Wells. Nope. Nope. Turning it down. Taking all the fun out of this, (laughs) Tyler. And... (laughs) I'm one of those guys who, uh, like when I've played fantasy sports in the past, I never make trades. I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. I'm not, I would not be good in a front office at all, at all. I'd be like, but this, this guy, I had, I had good conversations about old Seinfeld episodes with this guy. We can't trade him. Like I would not, (laughs) I would not be able to make deals ever about anything. I know that it would probably be better for the podcast if I was like, yeah, let's make all these swaps. I'm not, I'm not good at that. No, I mean that's fine. That's fine. Like we we, it's we will take day. this. I'm happy with my squad as it exists right now. You know, if we got a, a few weeks into a, a fictional season and I felt we needed to change something up, then maybe I'd, you know, call on Sam Dykstra and say, Hey man, let's uh which would be awkward because we'd be playing each other every single day since there are only two teams in this league. But I'd be like, Hey, what uh what do you think about that trade we talked about before opening day? And you'd be like, No, my team is 15 and 0. And I'd be like, dang it. Yeah. Yeah, it w- scouting would be very easy. I got to say, if you're just playing the same two teams over and over and over again, or the same team over and over. That again. is true. That is true. It would be it would make for a much easier, especially if it's only two starting pitchers, only two pitchers on each side in total. That would right. really make for uh for an easy roll. Uh, I don't know who would. I guess you would just have the one dude chart while the other dude is on the mound for all nine innings every day. This really chart, presents yeah a lot, or of, a lot of logistical issues. Yeah. <laughs> Well, those are our squads. Uh, I'm running down mine again. Catcher Gabriel Moreno, first baseman Michael Tolia, second baseman Nick Gonzalez, third baseman Curtis Mead, shortstop Bryson Stott, outfielders J.J. Blade, Yoel Cespedes, and Joe Gray Jr., my designated hitter, the big bopper, Sam Huff, and my pitching staff of Landon Knack and Asa Lacey. That's a team full of studs. Sam, let's hear your That is good. I mean, as it should be, you know. It should be. If we did a five-team draft, then – Right, it would be a little different. Uh, my team, catcher Austin Wells, first baseman Tristan Cassis, second baseman Nolan Gorman, third baseman Brett Beatty, shortstop Marco Luciano, outfielders Joey Weimer, Lars Newbar, and Richie Palacios, uh, DH Juan Yapez, right-handed pitcher Owen White, and left-handed pitcher Mackenzie Gore. That's a good squad, too. It is. Again, it is. as it I, should be. I am really pleased with how that kind of came together. Um, I, I was worried about some drop-offs at, at certain positions, but... Uh, I will say I am surprised you let me get Luciano so easily. Yeah, I like Bryson Stott, but like taking him as the first shortstop on the board was was an interesting one. That's true. I went more of a uh, you know closer to uh, closer to the big leagues, um, a little bit more proven as a prospect. Uh, Marco Luciano performing better about, in the fall league. Performing well. better in the fall league. We talked about Marco Luciano his age. He's a little bit uh, further away in in his development. Yes, he is going to be a star, but. You know, I looked at those guys on the on the squad in front of Bryson Stott, and I thought, you know, we're pretty close right now to being able to to really make that that last leap. Even though this has nothing to do with how close guys are to the big leagues, but still, um, you know, so that factored in somewhat <laughs> to my choice. 
got to make things interesting. You know, I like it. Yeah. Well, at like some it. point, maybe we'll try to make this happen on MLB The Show or something. Yeah, that sounds outstanding. We can do that yeah. again. Over we the have a long off season ahead of us. Once we do. We sadly do. Um, okay. Well, then that's uh, that's our draft, which means that we have a, uh, a visit from our ghost master, Josh Jackson. And then we're back to wrap up the show coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One you might recall, the others never were at all. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A, the Clarksdale Jenners. B, the Morristown Shiners. C, the Portsmouth Rummies. Raise your glasses to A, the Clarksdale Jenners who were around in the middle 1930s and were actually named for the Mississippi cotton ginning industry, but usually played as though they were inebriated. <laughs> After appearing to go home to the history books in 1937, they unofficially dipped back for a quick nightcap in 41. <laughs> Arriving from Baton Rouge and formerly known as the Red Sticks, the Jenners couldn't so much as walk in a straight line in the 1934 season, finishing an absolutely stinko 47 and 82 overall and 28 and 53 since falling off the Red Sticks wagon and ginning up the good times in Clarksdale. But whatever their record, that first Jenners team was the life of the party. According to some accounts, they drew a whopping 40,000 fans to the Clarksdale ball yard in those 81 games. As far as the standings go, things didn't look a whole lot better in the cold light of 1935, when the Jenners streamed into seventh place of the 18 East Dixie League. A move to the Cotton States League in 1936 did nothing to get the Jenners off the rocks, as they finished eighth out of eight. Clarksdale cleaned up by taking the name of their parent club Red Sox the next few years, but when that arrangement was up, some began once again calling the Clarksdale Nine the Jenners. Although the team was officially renamed the DeSotans for Spanish explorer Hernando de Sota on May 20, 1941, it was the old Jenners they played like, going 33 and 47 before moving to Marshall, Texas in July. And that's the tea on the Jenners. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these speedy teams burned the base paths of the miners of yesteryear? A. The Sayersville Steeds. B. The Canyon.
Canyon Lake Jackrabbits. See the Union City Greyhounds. Want to know the answer? Lace up your sneakers and go. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is dancing with Sid Charisse, and he needs to borrow my right foot. Before we get out of here on this week's episode of the show before the show, I have uh, a congratulations that I need to pass along. Our former colleague and good pal, Mark Emery, uh, who was a writer with uh, with us at MILB.com back in 2014, and I believe into 2015 as well. Uh, Mark got married a couple of weeks ago uh, in the state of Ohio. And uh, I got to travel out there. Congratulations to Mark and his lovely now wife, Diana. Um, They're just the the greatest, just like the two greatest people. And while I was out there, I got to hang out with uh, another former colleague of ours, Ash Marshall. Who, uh, who was my buddy. He was literally the only person that I knew there aside from the bride and groom uh, for the wedding. So uh, I got to hang out with Ash and uh, we, you know, we ate at a place that was on Google Maps as Tina's Dinner rather than Diner. Uh, it was a life. I ate basically an entire plate of sausage gravy. It was ostensibly biscuits and gravy, but the plate was pretty much 99% gravy. Uh, and I <laughs> ate that. And in tribute to uh, to Mark and Diana and to the the British sitcom Peep Show that uh, our buddy Josh Jackson got me on that Ash also also loves uh, for Mark and Diana now the wedding is done they're over the hump that's the <laughs> the wedding is the hump <laughs> and um, but yeah big congrats to Mark it was fantastic and a chance to hang out with him yeah I, I hope you didn't sign the card saying that <laughs> you're over the hump a wedding <laughs> the hump. <laughs> just with a picture of David Mitchell, just staring blankly at the camera, David Mitchell and Sophie Coleman. Uh, it was, it was, you know, Sophie, no, Olivia Coleman. Sophie. I was going to say Olivia Coleman. Ooh. Olivia Coleman is her name in real life. Um, yeah. Now she's an Oscar winner. She went on from peep show to, to win Oscars. It's insanity. Um, but yeah, it was fun, man. It was, it was cool. Uh, Mark is just the best. And he moved on. He worked for the New York daily news for a little while. Uh, and now is, is off in the, in the private sector, as they say, uh, he's not, not in journalism anymore, but, um, he's just the greatest and he lives in Pittsburgh now. So he and Diana, his now wife, they actually moved to Denver for a time and we got to be a uh, really good pals while they were living in Denver. Uh, but it was, it was awesome to get a chance to see him to get a chance to see Ash. I think it was the second time that I have ever actually seen Ash, uh, in person. Um, and so it was, uh, it was great to get to spend some actual time with him. And uh, we had fun, man. It was a great, it was a great couple of days. Yeah, no, it certainly looked like it. Yeah, can, uh, just to say it um, in my own voice, congrats to, to Mark on that. That, that seemed really cool. And uh, it is really cool how MILB.com, it's always been a family, um, but it's a family that, that lasts years. It's not just while we work here and people move on to all walks of different life. Um, yeah, it's really cool to, to see everybody get together that way. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Celebrate. No, it's uh, we got a cool little family here, um, and uh, a huge congrats to them. And uh, that'll do it for this one. Did I miss anything? Do I have anything else? What no, else is happening? No, no, I mean, we'll be back next week to talk about Fall Stars yeah, game. Fall Stars game coming up next weekend. Uh, as crazy as that is, the thirteenth, fourteenth, whenever it is. Um, and we'll be back to uh, to preview that. 
and then that's the final week. The following week is the final week of the Arizona Fall League season. The uh, the championship game is that final uh, or that final weekend before Thanksgiving, not the final weekend of November. Uh, but yeah, kind of crazy. We're already getting down to it. Um, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. He's Sam Baxter. I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah.